unfortunately, it seems, some people in my village are really hard at work, so due to some unforeseen circumstances, most of the audio in this episode is kind of messed up, and I do really hope that doesn't affect you guys enjoying the episode. Um, I do apologize. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Right on. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Gee, I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> it's the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. It's the episode about revolutionaries and revolutions. It's the episode about liberation and liberators. It's the episode about Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm joined today by... How many Brother times did you like... How many times did you practice that in the mirror before you actually... That was actually just off the top. And I'm... I'm like, fuck <laughs> me, that was really good. <laughs> Considering our normal interest usually take quite a while. <laughs> that was actually good. like, like six takes or something. I can't believe you actually got that in one, in one go. Hold on to you. Oh, um, let's go. Um, I'm channeling my inner Fred Hampton today, man. Uh, my inner Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, so it's the episode on Judas and Black Messiah. I'm joined by... Brother George, how are you? <laughs> Brother Banky, I'm good. I'm good. Actually, I'm good, but I think you're feeling a bit older today, though, because oh, it's your birthday. If I forgot. Oh, my God. <laughs> how about the big man? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, Looking, I, what was it, 32 now, isn't it? Okay, okay. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any more jokes? Like, well, I'm, It's literally like a year between you and I. Let's calm down. Let's calm down. You're literally um, like my elder, aren't you? I should be, I should be greeting you, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> there is a double Oh, uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That's, yeah. I'm not, I'm not someone that... You don't really celebrate birthdays, right? Or you no, don't no, believe no. in them? No, not even that. I'm not someone that, I mean, celebrate or celebrate, I don't care really, depends on how I feel with the year. But I'm not someone that really pays too much attention to the, the number. Like, oh, I'm 24 now. I'm this close to doing this. I should have done this by now or whatever. But what 26 does feel different. Uh, 26 it feels like, uh, I keep saying that I've gone from feeling like 20 plus X now I'm 30 minus X. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it, it, it feels different. And it's like, it kind of hits you like, yeah, boy, yeah. Um, yeah, thank yeah, you. Man. I'm happy. That, that numbers, I don't know about that because, like, once I clock 24, I start getting like back pains. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, oh gosh, I'm gonna start having like two day hangovers yeah, now. Well, that, that was not the same for me because I've always been a an 80 year old man in a 75 year old woman's body. So, like, I've always enough. felt, yeah, I'd always felt, <laughs> uh, like, so. I don't respond as a place. So even when all that happened, it didn't really make a difference to me. I was like, oh, my body is just catching up to <laughs> to my 80-year-old man mind and my 75-year-old woman body. But yeah, um, yeah, it's been good so far. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I I see that you obviously waited till we started recording before you, yep. <laughs> you said that. I, I wanted you to think that I'd forgotten and you think like I'm some prick. Come on. Surprise no, me. I'm the last, I'm the last person to to hold, hold that against people, just so that when it happens, you're supposed to be to hold it against me. Me, I'll judge you. Me, I'll judge <laughs> Anyone that's listening around, my birthday is August 29th, and if you don't wish you have a birthday, I would hate you, I'll never talk to you again. So, yeah, I'm not banking. Get it, get into your heads. But, um, yeah, did you do anything today, like, special? 
Mm, nah, I mean, we recorded, so two movies that I kind of liked, so that's kind of nice for me. Uh, yeah, better than going out and spending stupid amounts of money on alcoholic beverages and unhealthy foods. <laughs> but, um, this is the one time, obviously my last birthday was also in a lockdown, so I'm kind of happy oh, that man. I've had two lockdown. So it gives me an excuse to not do something, like, because normally it was like, oh, what are you doing now? I, I actually can't do anything because it's a lockdown. So I like. It's best belief it wasn't lockdown. I'd be in London right now. Right now, I'd be in London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, look, it's a birthday, isn't it? It's people said happy birthday, and I said thank you, and we move on. That's all we can do, mm-hmm. man. That's all we, we can do. Let's talk about Judas and the Black Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll just start off right off the gate and. I really like this movie. I think this might be my best movie of the year. Okay. What do you think about this movie? I really liked it. Really liked the performances in there. Um, I was actually I was just going to throw back a question to you. I'm just throwing questions, answering questions, questions. <laughs> How much did you actually know about um, you Fred, know, Hampton? Fred Hampton and the? Because I, I think we're all aware of the the Black Panthers and what they were. And what they stood for. Not to for. this extent, but yeah. Not to okay. this extent. I think obviously mm-hmm. as you like, you know, get older, you get more informed about stuff. But I'd always known about MLK. I'd always known about you know Malcolm X to a lesser lesser extent. But Fred Hampton, I wasn't really well aware of him. I think yeah. So Fred Hampton, I knew, I knew he was assassinated by Chicago police, and I think on one random Wikipedia deep dive, you know, when you go on Wikipedia and then you just Next thing you know, you're opening links, and next is three hours later, you're still on Wikipedia. Yeah. I think on one of those kind of evenings, I found out that he was like 21 when he died, and that was like, that was mind. I'm talking about that in the day, but that was yeah. that was mind blowing to me. Um, but that was it. That was all I knew. There is no and like, look, yeah, you could say I should have done my research or whatever, but like, there's really like this is the first this is the first movie about Fred Hampton, right? It's like he had five minutes in the trial of Chicago Seven. Which obviously also came out last year. Yeah. Um, there are no movies that actually like death of like knowledge about him. I think even like Americans, black Americans didn't know about Fred Hampton. Unless you obviously got it. And I look, there's a whole that's a whole podcast episode about how white media like suppresses black information and all that. So but yeah, I didn't I I knew that he was a leader of the Black Panther Party. Actually, no, no. I knew he was a member of the Black Panther Party. I don't think I knew he was a leader. And I knew he was killed by Chicago police at 21. That was it. That was all I knew. Yeah, so I think for myself, um, during the protest that kind of arose because of the George Floyd incident, murder, sorry, I just went into a massive, you know, rabbit hole on just like black history and stuff mm. along the way. Then I just came across Fred Hampton. I just like read about his story and how like this guy was so just, I mean, one of these things I just wish I had from him was just his ability to, you know, talk and choose his words, you know, and kind of articulate himself in this really powerful way. And I was just like, this mm-hmm. guy was basically 19, teenager, fucking baby. And he was leading these, you know, he was kind of like the spearhead. It makes he was, no sense. He was, you know, heading this change and trying to bring some, you know, sense of justice into, you know, I was kind of like a uniting figure as well, kind of, kind of mm-hmm. see it in the movie, you know, he unites the... Um, the young, the young lords. The and young the lords, the young patriots, thanks for that, yeah. yeah. 
Puerto Ricans and the um, I was gonna say something else. The, the uh, yeah, Patriots and the yeah, yeah. Rednecks, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Um, I was gonna say Hicks, but I'm not sure if that's. <laughs> I'll blow that. Okay, I'll blow that. I'll, I'll be perfect. <laughs> but um, how he was, you know, such a united figure on that, and I think, well, I think we'll get to this later on. But I don't think the movie really. Oh, he also had like a lot of um socialist views. I think that's kind of what brought these people as well together, which didn't was kind of ignored in the movie, but I think we'll get to that mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where I read or how I kind of knew about him, you know, and kind of much more informed about his actions and how he brought, you know, different packs together to achieve a common goal. And yeah, it was a sad read, man, because, you know, it kind of ended before, like it took off, but before it was about to reach that next level. Yeah, imagine you know, if you had fucking 20, 13 more years. Like you imagine if you lived to forty and fifty and like look at what I'm saying. I'm saying forty or fifty, which is which is nothing, right? Yeah. But I'm saying just imagine if he lived up to that. Like just imagine what he could have done. Like and it's it's it, it's so crazy. And I think for anyone who's listening right now and is like, oh, what point? Like it's not that deep or whatever. Just pause and think for a second that this guy was twenty, right? And he was leading. He was. I think he was the leader of the Chicago Black Panthers and he was like the deputy leader of the National Black Panther Party. Something like that, yeah. This at, at 20, that is, I can't, like, there is no way to express how wow that is. Like, at 20, this guy got the Amer- got white America so scared that mm-hmm. they decided to kill him. Like, this guy was on the level of Malcolm X and MLK at 20. Yeah. What was I doing at 20? I can't say what I was doing on 20 on this podcast. How do you have that sense of discernment at 20? Like, you know your purpose, you know what you're going to do, you know what to say. Like you said, these speeches that he was, the words he was saying, like, how do you know to be so, like, anti-capitalist and so socialist at 20? That is, that's that's just a form of genius on, on its own. Like, I'm just like, I cannot express how wild that is to me. Like that's just like, who? Yeah. I think Mark Clark, who died, who died in the raid as well, was 22 when when the FBI came in. Like, like I think his his wife, or rather his partner, was like 19, 20 at the time as well. Like the one is just it's. Yeah, you know, I think if, if those guys, if the if that generation are like, well, you guys, if they don't. Do, wag their fingers and I'm like we're not doing it properly like, like, fast? I'm like you yeah. know fair enough <laughs> we can't argue guys it's just really incredible like these guys you know from the ages of about you know 17 to 22 were mm-hmm. leaders of this this national party which was you were kind of giving you know black people that power against the injustice of the police just kind of watch you know, these movies and these documentaries and they're asking for like the fucking bare minimum. We want to have good schools, we want to have infrastructure, we don't want to be left in the ghettos, we want to have to be treated fairly with the police and justice department. And, you know, they're killing these people. Like it's still going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. But back then it was just like fuck, like this is like this is insane. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man. So I think um in the movie so Daniel Kaluuya, is, as Fred Hampton, is obviously reciting this Malcolm X speech, I believe, that he's memorized. And Malcolm X is basically saying that when 
if your house is on fire and you are asleep and someone comes in to tell you that your house is on fire, do not make the mistake of assuming that that person that's telling you is the one that sets your house on fire. Like, because we are telling you that this is the problem and this is how you're treating black people, don't assume like we're the ones causing the problem. We're just trying to show you what the problem is. Doesn't We're not trying to make the fire worse. And it's, look, we're going to obviously talk about, it's important to talk about this movie and even the next movie we're going to talk about that comes out later. It's important to talk about them without talking about 2020 and talking about the world now and everything. So, but before we get there, I just, I think we need to talk about the performances, right? This is, I said this movie is one of my best movies, my best movie of the year. And I think that is like, really, like there's some other things we're going to talk about, but like this movie is just, really anchored on two very incredible performances. These are, these are really, and this is why when I, obviously I didn't watch the movie when we, when we did Oscars part, but I was so happy that like he got recognition because yeah, Daniel Kalia is going to win the Oscar and like very rightly so, but this kind of performance from Lekhi that usually gets, goes unnoticed. Like everybody focuses on the Kalia performance and they don't see what Lekhi does. And I'm so happy you got nominated for this. These are two powerhouse performances. Huh? This, is like, this is like, this is, this is, this is Damon and Leo in The Departed, but maybe even more, but definitely more important. So maybe even better. Like, there's just like two guys just really going and like, you're like, oh, wow, these guys are doing the job. And yeah, what do you, what did you think about performances, Kalia and Vicky? Yeah, I thought Kalia was like electric. I mean, that's, that's the character he was supposed to play. I think he did that incredibly well. Mm-hmm. He had that charisma of just being able to capture you know, an audience and, you know, the audience within the movie and as well as, the, like, anytime you spoke, I'm just like, I can't look anywhere else. I'm not, <laughs> um, I just have to focus on what the hell this guy is saying, whether it's important to the plot or not. And, I mean, Lakeith is, you know, he's playing the guy who eventually gives um, Kalia's character up, Fred Hampton, mm-hmm. and it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those, like, one of those complex performances where there's a mixture of a couple of emotions you could kind of see he's still young, you know, at the beginning you could see he was young and he wasn't even confident when he was robbing those people. He wasn't, he didn't look like he was doing it with conviction. They were able to suss him out really quickly. You know, at one point in the movie where they actually suspected him being a rat and he, he, he eventually kind of played it off, but he was able to convey that amount of fear. You know, I'm fucking scared right now, but at the same time, I'm, you know, playing as cool as possible. He played, you know, a proper informant. He had that level of just that weight of this could fucking end for me anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But at the same mm-hmm. time, um, yeah, I I really don't want to be doing this as well, but I have mm-hmm. to. He was kind of chucking all the ingredients into the pot and just stirring it all together. And what, you know, came out was, that's why he's nominated for the Oscar. Mm-hmm. This is... This is a terrible role. Like, not in terms of the quality of the role, but in terms of what this character is. Right? This is literally, like, asking... And, obviously, yeah, it's very easy to make the the, the comparison because the names are right there in the title, but you you could be asking, like, a Christian to play Judas in a film. Like, you're literally asking a Black person to play the role of another Black man who sold this young 
and electric revolutionary, right? This is <laughs> William O'Neill is a terrible, is a piece of shit. Like, like how many people are going to watch this movie? I'm like, oh, William O'Neill, we feel sorry for you, right? And like, and acting obviously you needs you need to be in that headspace. You need to be in that character's headspace. So like, obviously, um, I've seen some interviews where like he came out and was like, yeah, he had to just like he had to go into therapy. After after the, after this film, because it takes a toll on you, because you're in this headspace for so long, and and you you it's, it's like not liking the skin that you're wearing, like you feel like ew, like you can't scrub this off you, and it's so the, the final. I I I hope so much that Lakeith is good and is well, and like he has the tools to get over that mentally and everything, because this is a role that you're like. To give him that kind of performance that he he did, you you know he went to very dark places and very weird places, and I'm very happy that he's getting recognition, like you said, the Oscar nomination. So, um, just um, on the topic of the film, how do you feel um, the people behind the film, the Shaka King the director as well? How do you think they want the audience to feel about William O'Neill, so mm. um, Lakeith Stanfield's character? At the end of the movie, are we supposed to think he's a piece of shit? Or are we supposed to feel sorry for? Like, maybe he wasn't a bad person. That the FBI and John Edgar Hoover, who is a fucking piece of shit, by the I way. I mean, Edgar Hoover, yeah, like, I, there is no telling of your story where he's not going to be a piece of shit. But yeah, terrible, yeah. Terrible. Anyway, um, are we supposed to feel that the FBI was the real bad people? Mm. And he was just a cog in the machine. Because um, even even um, the agent he was reporting to, Roy Mitchell. Mitchell, thanks. He was, you know, brought him to his home. He doesn't actually, you know, he kind of portrays Roy Mitchell as a kind of, you know, family man who's just doing his job mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's, you know, how we're supposed to feel about the whole, the, the, basically the, the people that Fred Hampton, you know, yeah. fight against. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because something I was going to talk about. Because one, on one hand, it's kind of like a criticism that's levelled against the film that we didn't need um, as much FBI or maybe even as much William O'Neill, which I completely disagree with. Because then what happens is that you end up making a very basic biopic about Fred Hampton. You maybe when he, from when he was born to when he died, which is very basic and we were boring. And it, I think it takes away why, why I like the movie. What? Let me let me interject there. Well, it doesn't. It's not really a biopic. I think it's kind of what someone said this in a podcast or something. So, I mean, biopics are terrible. Are you listening to not, the not, podcast? Not terrible. <laughs> are you listening to the podcast? I'm cheating Sorry. on this podcast. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I won't say I read a book because no one would believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I think like you really have you know quite problems with biopics and stuff. And it's just how much information do you put, you know, within mm. this two hour movie and what part is, you know, fictionalized and, you know, made for Hollywood and what part is real. So there's that whole problem with biopics. But if you're picking, I think this is kind of what they've done in this movie as well. If you're picking a certain five years. Slice of life. Slice of life, exactly. I think you could be able to get, you're telling this section of this guy's life mm-hmm. and you could tell, you can do, you know, something from there. I yeah, think exactly. that's kind of what this. And I think, I think this is a genre film. This is a thriller. And it's not a coincidence that I've mentioned The Departed already. Like, this is, this is basically The Departed, but we know what the ending is, like, because mm-hmm. it's history. And, but I think, if we don't have William O'Neill as our entry point into the film, or we don't have the FBI scenes, then we can't have a genre film, right? When we have a 
Well, if I focus entirely on Fred Hampton, I don't think it's as energetic a film. I don't think it's as interesting a film. That's, that's my point. That's that's a good point. But could you not say? Um, I think maybe maybe you could say this movie actually touches on this as well. Could you not say, show me a movie about Fred Hampton and show me why he was so instrumental and why you know why the FBI thought he was such a massive threat to you know whatever they were safeguarding. Do you, you know, but do you think you don't do you think you don't get that from this film? Do you come out of this film not not seeing that? I guess that's the main question because I that's the main question and, and it's a it's a valid opinion. So I also want to, I want you to give you an answer because like because some people have come out and said, well, I feel like this film did not really show me who Fred Hampton was. I disagree, mm-hmm. or the other people disagree. So you do you get that from you get that from this film? Um, it's hard to say because I've done I've done a lot of reading. Mm. I've done a lot of reading and I felt like just maybe even in a subconscious way, you know, all the information I've got from, you know, the previous stuff that I've read, you know, can fill in the blanks. In the, I mean, mm. every movie is a blanks anyway, but, you know, all the additional material that you read or listen to can fill up the blanks really easily. Yeah. And I think I've done that. I mean, yeah, okay. I haven't done as much reading, and but I think like I come part of this movie scene, like I see his... His charisma, I see mm-hmm. his or- oratory skills, I see his the people's willingness to follow him, that he can literally unify rednecks and um, Puerto Rican groups to fight the police. I can, I can see why. I can see that he's willing to do the work. He's willing to do the, like, be on the streets and hand out flyers. So I can see yeah, why. Can you see him doing the United? Yes, I, I, yeah. yes, exactly. I can see why he'll be a threat to J. Edgar, Edgar Hoover and his boys. I don't want to see maybe maybe for a history lesson, not for a film. I don't want to see the film about about Fred Hampton when he grows up and then doing the work, and then the FBI hates him and then he dies. Right? That's a very that that that's straightforward. That's that's that. I think that's the reason that most people haven't seen this movie. But not most people. People haven't seen it because they think it's a biopic. Because that, that that word kind of it's a it's a solid word, isn't it? Biopic is kind of a disgusting word. But I think this is look. Who am I to say? But I think this is a very good result of the film. I think where this film landed is a very good spot because it's, like I said, it's a genre film, but everything is, the facts mm-hmm. are there, right? Everybody's yeah. told, and as I think Fred Hampton is told, well, Bill O'Neill is yeah. arguably the main character, the entry point, hands down, yes, but I don't, I don't think Fred Hampton is shortchanged. I think he gets I think he gets his due. Um, yes, obviously, you can make the movie two hours and the rest of the time that's, Fred Hampton doesn't have in this film. You can fill it with more Fred Hampton stuff. Obviously, I don't know if it's to be as good a movie. I, I definitely know it's going to be as entertaining, no matter how good Kalia is, right? Um, there's a re- like, yeah. Uh, but what was your original question? <laughs> Me, who I I don't remember my original question. We just went into uh, a long tangent, which is what this podcast yeah, is no, about. You, wait, what <laughs> you asked about? I think it was how 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 does the director want you to feel? Oh yeah, that was it. Okay, yeah, okay. So, um, I think we can all be agreed on the point that William William O'Neill is a piece of shit, right? But still understand why his actions, why he did his actions, right? Um, I don't think either Shaka King or Lakeith Stanfield or whoever is going to be like, well, I think. William O'Neill is right for this and this reason, right? But this guy was 17 
when Roy Mitchell picked him up, mm-hmm. right? Like when he became, when he started for the FBI, he was 17. And yeah, we're talking about how Fred Hampton was 21 at the time of his death. William O'Neill was 20, mm-hmm. right? So he is still a kid. Like not, not even like he is a kid. He's a 17-year-old who the FBI has literally groomed. And another thing, because when obviously, like I said, I, I didn't know much about Fred Hampton. And I definitely don't know about William O'Neill. So obviously when the trailer came out and the title was there, I was like, oh, okay. So so I thought that it was somebody within the Black Panther Party that like betrayed him. Mm-hmm. And that, that made me very annoyed. But obviously when you went to the film and then it's more like um, William O'Neill joins the Black Panther Party already with the with the mandate to kind of snitch on him, right? It's not it's not bet it's not good, but it's better. Right? It's like he thought he didn't know who the Black Panthers were. A white man or a white FBI agent told this 17, 18 year old kid that these guys were similar to the KKK. Like we can say, oh, he should have known better, but he was still a kid. Like so Yeah, but like uh, yeah, I think for me, I just see, I see someone trying to save his own skin. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. And um, yeah, like you said, like piece of shit. Someone trying to save his own skin, and because of this, like another boy mm-hmm. murdered because yeah. of like another boy was murdered because he want he didn't want to you know do was it five years in jail. About six and a half, because I think eighteen half. years for the car and then five years. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, hundred percent. He was trying to save his own skin. I'm, there, there's no like this guy was a criminal. He was stealing cars and he was looking for the, for his best thing. Oh, and I, I think for most people, I think if you're presented with that option, that you either do six and a half years in jail or you inform on this unknown party, you probably most people would take that other option, right? It just got to a point where he was in over his head and he couldn't do anything. So I don't know what the movie is trying to tell you. I don't know what the movie trying to tell you about to feel about William O'Neill. I think we can, like I said, I think we can agree that he's a terrible person or what he did very terrible things and we don't want anything good for his memory. But I think we can also understand how he got to that situation and understand that most likely and I think Kalui I think Kaluya Olakid said said this in an interview. And they were like, most of us are much closer to being William O'Neill's than we are to be Fred Hamptons, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's, if you're a 17-year-old kid and you're faced with that decision, I feel like most people pick what William O'Neill picked. And, like, maybe you say, if, if you go down the line, you can take it, get away, or whatever, we'd never know. But, um, yeah, I understand. I think it was a piece of shit and everything, and I don't, I don't watch the movie empathizing with him or whatever, but I do understand how and I don't I do understand that the white people were the bigger villains. I do understand how we should be angrier at the mm-hmm. white FBI than that they are the ones who who knew what they were doing. They were all adults in the in the room and they were the ones who who knew. I mean look, these guys literally had these guys literally had other black informants, like in other Black Panther parties doing this kind of shit. So um yeah, it's I know who my, I think one is a piece of shit, but I know who the real villain is. I know who I'm, who I should really focus my anger at. Mm. Do you think they should have cast younger actors, like more age appropriate actors? So like actors that were 2021 20, to portray these guys that were 2021, 20, because 
Um, Kaluuya is 32, I believe, and Lakeith is, I think, 29. So it's quite an age gap between that and their... Because, well, anyway, you answer. What do you think? I was thinking about this because I was like, I don't think... I think the movie was good the way it was, but I don't think people... Mm-hmm. I think to really hammer home that point, you know, I think it would have been much more helpful for them to cast people at a certain age range to mm-hmm. show, like, this guy barely has any facial hair and he's he's one of the best orators of all time. I think that would have been quite surprising. Yeah, and I think it would have also kind of shown how out of his depth William O'Neill was, because you're like, this is an 18-year-old kid who is reporting to an FBI agent <laughs> on the on the vice president of the Black National Black Panther. What the hell is going on here? Um, yeah, I agree with you completely. I think casting those kind of 20, 21-year-old actors would have really... Sh- driven home the point, the, those points for the audience. Because I think their ages are very important to Fred Hampton because it shows that this is a 20-year-old kid that is doing all this wild and crazy shit. And like, wow. And for William O'Neill, that this is a 20-year-old kid who is tasked with bringing down the Black Panthers by the FBI, right? Like, these are two people that just should not be doing this at their age. However, I think by doing that, we'll be sacrificing two very incredible performances. Yeah. I, not to denounce or slate any 20, mid-20, 20-year-old actors out there. But I don't know if you can get to 20-year-olds to put in this level of performances, right? These are performances that you get through experience, through practice, through years of of doing stuff. So while the movie might have been more authentic in one way, I think you lose this to Oscar-worthy performances. And I I don't know if that, I personally don't think that trade-off is worth it. I think mm-hmm. the movie is better the way it is then. But I think it's a, there's an argument there to be made and everything. Or there's a valid discussion there to be had. Um, just before we... Let's let's talk a little bit. I feel like we might have glossed over just how incredible... I just want to talk a little bit more about how, the cast of this film. These guys are really good. And for anyone who, when Kaluuya wins the Oscar, is like, oh, did he deserve it? Or when is his turn Lakeith in? Which is, which is another reason why, with the whole thing of his Lakeith, the best actor, best supporting. I didn't care because I was like, I just want Lakeith to get his Oscar nomination, whichever yeah, way he gets it. I don't know why why he was best supporting actor. So okay, obviously we talked a bit of, we talked a bit about this on our Oscars pod, but about our Oscar nominations pod. But the way it is is there, there are a lot of variances. But another the most important thing here is that no matter how I just only found about this recently actually, but no matter how you campaign, right? Obviously, actors vote on actors for the act for the acting categories, right? Mm-hmm. Anyone can vote you in whatever category they feel like you are in. So, for example, people, a lot of actors, obviously voted Lakeith as best supporting actor, mm-hmm. right? Probably for those guys, they were really minded. They probably voted Kaluuya as best actor, mm-hmm. right? So, what it just means is that Lakeith was in the top five number of votes in Best Supporting Actor. And he wasn't in the top five number. So not as many people thought he was either the the, act, the lead actor in this film or the best actor of the year. Does that make sense? So more people put him... So it's not, not necessarily that they both... Like, for example, Denzel Washington did not... Random, obviously. Did not put Kaluuya as Best Supporting Actor first nomination and then Stanfield as best supporting actor second nomination. An example would be how he put Kaluya's best lead actor and then puts the Keith as best supporting. Right? Does that make right. sense? Right. So 
that's how that's how the thing works. And that's so for because again, like when you watch this movie, depending on who you are, you could uh, yes. I mean the movie starts and ends with Lucky Stanford, isn't it? Yeah, but again, um it is Fred Hampton, right? It, he is the black messiah. So you're thinking what Daniel Kaluuya has top billing is the first name on the sheet. Maybe he's the lead actor. Mm. You, know, you get what I mean? Like we had this thing about training day, didn't we? The movie starts and ends with Ethan Hawke's character. Yeah. But yeah. Denzel, Denzel is training, Denzel is the lead actor. So um look, I I understand people want to, but like it, I feel like it's so unimportant when like he does end up getting the nomination. I think that's the most important thing because Look, when I'm talking about Daryl Lindo didn't get nominated in Best Actor, like <laughs> that, that rarish was so tight. Let him just get his best nomination here, yeah, and let's be happy with that. Yeah, but but yeah, I think this two guys were really good. Like you said about Kalia during the speeches, I think he's incredible. I think the film and Shaka King know it because the camera stays on him. The camera doesn't. We only like cut to different shots when we absolutely need to. Like it stays on him during his speeches. His yeah, that's just, that one speech on when he just left, came out of prison when he was yeah, like... Yeah, it was like, it was just like, I'm home, but I'm back. I'm, I'm, and then that's when he does the whole, you can kill a revolutionary, we can kill yeah, that was, a revolution. And that was just... That's probably like my favorite scene of the movie. That was... That was a really good scene. Dominic Fishback is also really good. It was unfortunate she couldn't get like a Best Supporting Actress nomination. She's really good in this film as well. Uh, I think a lot of the Black Panther members are really good. Ashton Sanders from Moonlight is good. Mm-hmm. As I can't buy his name now, but obviously the Black Panther member that gets killed in the hospital. Uh, Plemons. Jesse Plemons. He's going to win an Oscar, right? Like, can we agree on that now? <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, he reminds me of, what's his name? Uh, oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman, there we go. Where he's yeah. just like this character actors that can just, you know, transform into their character. Mm-hmm. And the you know, whether they're playing the worst person in the world. Which so, he tends to do quite often. She does quite so often, yeah. <laughs> From Breaking Bad to now, yeah. You know, he brings certain emotion from the audience to his characters, and I really like that. He's going to win an Oscar. He might, he might win it when he's 50 or when he's 60, <laughs> right? And then we'll be like, why did this take so long? But he's going to win an Oscar. Like, not only he's, has he come up to be one of the greatest acting talents of our generation, he's also clearly very smart in the roles he's, he's choosing. Thanks, yeah. He's obviously now being loved by, like, very good directors. He's about to do um, Scorsese back-to-back. And I think in the, in Scorsese's film, he's the lead now. Is he? So, like, I think Dinero, um, DiCaprio has dropped down to a supporting actor, and then Jesse Plemons is now the lead role. What's De Niro, then? De Niro and DiCaprio, but I don't know what the movie's about, but I think they're, like, supporting actors in the film. Oh, wow. And obviously that was all from, from Jesse Plemons being in The Irishman. So, obviously... He was going to be in a, in a Jordan Peele film, but he dropped out to be in the Scorsese film. Like, he's been in... Uh, he, so clearly, like, good directors and great directors like him. And I, I think he's been in Fargo. He's been in an incredible episode of Black Mirror. Like, he clearly knows what he's doing. So, I guess was he's in Game Night. Have you watched that movie? Game Night. Game <laughs> Night, sorry. That was actually a really, really good movie. He was so good in Game Night. He was so good. I'm like, I'm like yes, Jesse, just do more comedies. But yeah, um, I think it's going to be an Oscar. Like, that's... It seems so inevitable to me that he win an Oscar. Um, probably because he's white also, so like we know he's going to get the roles. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it seems to me, like, analyzing Kaluuya's performance, like, he plays, and look, God, I may be completely way of the mark here, 
but it seemed to me like he was playing Fred as kind of like a man who has no choice in but to dedicate his life to this cause. Like it was kind of like and we've spoken about I was talking about how I love this kind of dramas, but like the genius dramas, right? So Whiplash, Queen's Gambit, where the character feels like this is their calling and this is all that they have to give and like everything else falls by the wayside and like it's this is is this or nothing else. And I don't know before I go on, like, does that make any sense to you? Did you like yeah, yeah, that yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. How much how much does that reflect on the real life Fred Hampton? And I mean, from what we've seen, or from kind of what I think I know, like obviously he experienced, you know, a lot of discrimination in his youth and he read a lot of, you know, left wing stuff from mm-hmm. Richie Mean, um, Mao, yikes. True. Fidel as well. So he kind of read a lot of left-wing stuff here and there, but and that, you know, that influenced his way of thinking, always thinking about the collective. Like I think he was I think he even started I read even somewhere he started supporting like North Vietnam in the in the <laughs> cuz he I don't think he was a communist, but he was definitely a hardline socialist. I think that's probably an added layer on exactly probably why the FBI would have wanted him out cuz back mm-hmm. back in them days it was I think that was like the height of the Cold War. It was communist, you're a communist. He's a communist, lock him up. Uh, everything, like massive paranoia around communism. And, yeah. uh, and because he, like one, he's black. Two, he's literally protesting and he's a powerful voice behind the injustices of the system and police brutality. And three, he's, you know, borderline... You know, he's really left-wing, he's a socialist. And back then, you know, socialist means communist. And if you're a communist, your ass over for you, especially in, you know, big old Uncle Sam of capitalism as well. Yeah. So I think those three factors, it was just this guy has to go. And Mm. obviously, I think just having those two might be, you know, that might be a valid enough reason for the FBI to want you out of here. But maybe if they had explored that third point a bit further down that might have properly nailed the point into all the audiences. Like, Oh my gosh, this guy is against the U S on, you know, economic policy on social policy, mm. you know, um, that's look, to be fair, I want to say that I didn't want that kind of that version of the movie, but that's probably something that is in the strict biopic yeah. of, of Fred Hampton, isn't it? Um, like I said, like there are probably a couple of lines to talk about his socialist policies, and you kind of, if you're paying attention, you get it, right? It's not as hammered home, but I think you get it in this film. But yeah, obviously, a more traditional biopic will we'll talk about him more. And then, but do we? I don't think you need. That I was going to say, I don't. I don't even think we need. We need. I think those two points, those two earlier points. Yeah, we, we understand. We believe. We we've seen the world. Yeah, we're living in the world in 2021. We we understand why the FBI is going after him. Yeah, I think that's um, that's fine enough. But yeah, what I was saying is like the way Kaluya has portrayed this guy as a guy who feels like this is what his life is dedicated to, and this is all his life is should be focused on. I don't know. We can't tell if that's what Fred Hampton really believed or not. I'm only focusing on the performance. And it, it kind of you you get the vibe. Even from some of his speeches, this is someone who had decided like a long time ago that this was the reason he was going to die, that he was going to lose his life because of this cause. Not I mean, like he said in some of his speeches, nothing else. And while we can't tell what the actual 
Fred Hampton's mind headspace was. What we do know is that he was someone who he was dedicated to the cause. He he gave his life. He even before he died, he had given his life, dedicated his life to the cause and to black empowerment and black power and everything. And 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 like I'm 26, right? And if we're being frank, I can't right now imagine giving my life up for anything. Mm-hmm. Right. But this guy at 20, 21 was he was ready. Like he 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 was so passionate about what he was preaching and so entrenched in his in philosophies and so dedicated to the empowerment of black people that he was ready to lose his life for the cause, even if like losing his life did not fix everything. Like he he had seen Malcolm and Martin die at this point, right? and like mm-hmm. they were still fighting. So he knew that even if he lost his life, it doesn't mean everything will be fixed. But he was. Like he was that that dedicated to the cause, and I just I, I don't know. It's just something that was just like that's just wow to me. At twenty one, at twenty, that's that's incredible. I don't I don't have a lot to say about this point. It's just something I just wanted to just just be like <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just um, this is it for me. This is a great movie. Like I said, it's my best movie of the year. I think these are these are definitely so far. Career best performances from both from both Lakeith and and Dana Kulia. This definitely passes his 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 get out performance. But you also just feel like that like the best is still here to come. Like these guys are just so good that you feel like they still have another like knockout performance on the way. Do you have any final thoughts on the film? Um, I think Kulia was like really that really grasped me, man. Some things are just like and like the the whole voice control and how yeah i think and he does this thing with his face where he his eyes and it's just i don't know man I, I don't his know. first scene his first scene when he's at the school and he's like slanted and he's looking like that it's just like it's so cool yeah like kaluya is someone like again i hate to make this comparison because it's unfair but he's like it's like Denzel. wait oh, he just does no. random things I was say, I can't believe you're about to. I hope you're not about to mention the D word that you did. <laughs> a little bit, but like, I, I, I'm sorry, like, I don't want to, but like, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to put anybody on the same He just does random things and make them makes them look so cool. Just being able to, um, yeah, just he just he just doesn't He just does in this film, just like at his first his introduction, like the camera is just he's just slanting his face. Like, just like, ah. It's a really good performance. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about Oscars. This is the movie nominated for five Oscars, right? What, what are they? Oh, actually six. Um, best picture, mm-hmm. go to Shaka King, Ryan Coogler. Best supporting actor, best supporting actor to Daniel Kaluuya. Best supporting actor to Lakeith Stanfield. Best original screenplay for Shaka King and mm-hmm. Kenyan Keith Lucas, the Lucas Brothers. Best cinematography to Sean Bobbitt and best original song. To her, to her, fight for you. We know for sure it's winning um, best supporting actor Daniel Kaluuya. Um, I, best pictures as a long shot, I think. Best original screenplay, I think, it looks like an open open race, really. So maybe fingers crossed. Best cinematography, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. And the best original song, I don't, I don't really know what the front runner is in that category. So maybe her, I don't know. Isn't that song from from the movie we're about to get into? Oh, 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 so, best segue ever, man. <laughs> it should have been. It, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> such a separate episode. Um, so I think this movie could realistically come out with two, maybe one to three, one to three Oscar wins, which is quite good. 
out of six nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's please anyone if you somehow listen to the entire episode and you haven't watched just just on Black Messiah, go watch just on Black Messiah. Um, it's a really great movie. I really like it. Obi really likes it. So I think watch the alone for the Daniel Kaluuya performance because this is something that people can talk about. A quick shout out to Ryan Coogler, who's obviously a producer on this film. He he made Black Panther, made some money, and was like, you know what? I'm gonna help you make this Fred Hampton biopic. So shout out, shout out Ryan Coogler. Did you know about Nigerian Airways Flight Eight Two Five? No. So um, when Leo Rell's character, that's the FBI agent, gives Lakeith's character the little sleepy drug, right? Yeah. yeah. The headline in the newspaper talks about Nigeria Airways Flight Eight Two Five crash. Wow! And it was it was just newspaper. And I googled it and it was like a crash um, in a flight from London to Lagos. And I think it crashed on the um, on the runway, right. landing in Lagos. Yeah, eighty-seven people died. No survivor. November nineteen sixty-nine. That's, I, don't know, I, how, I don't know how I never knew about that, that crash. So that's weird. Yeah, so Nigeria, ML- Nigeria. MLK died 68. Yeah. Jesus. Bro, 69 was a very, very tough year for America. Was it 69 or 68 that was the tough year for America? I think that's 68. I think yeah, MLK 68. and MLK and, um, and Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, RK 68. But then 69 has the trial of Chicago 7. Mm. Has yeah. Hampton dying? Has um, what have um, the Manson murders? Has the Zodiac? Yeah. What is going on? Only one year. That's when people were like, because I think initially, you know, after World War Two, everyone was all patriotic and stuff. But like, oh, I'm, I'm an American and I'm proud to represent the country. Then, yes, yeah. to the Cold War, you know, fucking paranoia all around the country happens. Then the Vietnam War is like, why are we in this fucking country? Then. You know, obviously there was a whole civil rights movement as well and, you know, sexual revolution and hippies and women getting more rights as well. Then, you know, all these papers leak about how the whole Vietnam stuff was a lie in the first place. And people were angry. Then, then, <laughs> then Watergate happens. You're like, oh. <laughs> this is a big mess. So, yeah. yeah. Not to waste your quite eloquent segue from earlier. Speaking of best original song, potential winner, we're going to be talking about One Night in Miami <laughs> on our next episode. So I hope you guys come back for that. That should be airing in a couple of days. Welcome back, everyone. So we're going to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier. As always, I'm joined by our correspondent. He may dress like one, but don't you dare call him a pimp. It's Emmanuel Payasokiji. How are you, Emmanuel? We're giving Smiling Tiger vibes today. Smiling Tiger vibes. No other vibes welcome. And uh, what do you call it? We're we're standing on Flores Kasumba on this account. Yeah, we are. This is is a Flores Kasumba stand stand page. Um, What do you know about Smiling Tiger? Because I I, honestly, nothing. (laughs) I have no idea, to be honest. Right, it sounds that, very much like a Luke Cage villain. I don't know if it's a comic book thing. I don't know if something they made up. I really don't know. But I, feel yeah, like, that, I feel like it's probably real. Yeah, it, sounds like a, it sounds like a Luke Cage thing. But also the fact that that picture was actually... I'm very sure that was Anthony Mackie. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. 
oh, he actually looks like me kind of thing. <laughs> but, Yo, is, <laughs> is Baron Zemo an ally? Wow. Oh, no, wait, no. You, first of all, you're thinking too hard. I don't mean like that. I mean, is he an ally to black people? Oh, because of... Um, he was dropping some gems. He was, he was dropping Trouble some man. gems. Like, he was like... He was like, he was like Trouble Man is... Is what they call it, is very representative of the black, black American, African experience. American experience. And then later he was like, only in America would they think that a well dressed black man is a pimp. And I'm like, just like, you're making some <laughs> points, Baron Zemo. Like, hashtag Black Lives Matter, Baron Zemo. Yeah, you're making some points. I kind of agree with you. I'm actually screaming, man. The guy, I don't know, but like, to, to, from that, I, can't, I feel like this is my best Zemo appearance ever. Yeah, it like, is. It is. Like, I really liked um, this episode. I think he was, I think just within like a few minutes, you know, Daniel Brühl is killing it. Um, obviously, there's a part of me that's happy because he pretty much got his comic book costume. He had that bit of uh, banter about him. Yeah, he got the mask and even like um, the coat and stuff is all purple. Yeah, you know, um, he talked about being a Baron son. Um, so, you know, Baron. So he is now pretty much Baron Zemo canon because before mm-hmm. he was Colonel Helmut Zemo. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, just just that little bit and that bit of little banter with him and, um, you know, Bucky and Sam, you know, previously it just been very serious, you know, Mission Report, December 16, 1991. That's, you know, that's the kind of vibe he's been. But like, you know, um, the Barazima I know from like the animated series and stuff, dude always used to have back and forth, used to be quite quippy. Um, so I think we're getting more of that. So it was really good to see that this episode. Um, and yeah, no, like I think this, I want to say this is probably my favorite episode so far, which is good. You know, you want to say every new episode is your favorite mm-hmm. of the run. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think, I think this was really good. And, you know, Zemo brought a lot of energy to that and uh, props to all of them. Daniel, bro. I think I'm watching these episodes in kind of like my brain is kind of split and I don't know why, because I'm enjoying the episodes as I'm watching them, but I'm always like, I'm scared that you guys won't stick the landing because it's like three episodes left and I feel like there's so much to do. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, so so yeah. I need to divorce myself of that. But like, I'm watching, I'm like, oh, this is nice. This is this is quippy. This is good banter between Sam and Bucky and between Sam, Bucky and Zemo and everything. This is good, a good callback and stuff. But then I'm like, no, 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 we need more. We need more. We need to get the job done because we can't spend our time doing this. Yeah, and I, I think I just need to enjoy that. Enjoy what I like. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I, I think, you know, I had that problem a bit with WandaVision because I kept saying, you know, I expected something really gigantic and stuff. Mm. But then, you know, with how that ended, it was that kind of thing where, you know, it tied up stuff, but it didn't end everything. Like, mm. And I think that's probably what they're going to be going for for the yeah. Disney Plus shows, which is that some stuff will get tied up, but then some stuff will still sort of spread out. Like, you know, I'm not expecting that at the end of this, we're not. Do you think when we finish this show, six episodes, we would have either Bucky or Sam as Captain America? I think we'll have Sam as Captain America. I feel like that's the only way to sort of end. But that's Again, the thing, so- right? That was what we expected going in, right? But I just, I'm just like, are you actually going to be able to do that in three episodes? Like, yeah, there's just a lot I- of real estate to get there. That's, that's, my, that's my fear. That's my fear. No, because I look at it like, you know, we've got all these threats and stuff, but there's nothing that stops it from like Sam... You know, they keep on struggling or whatever. And then Sam picks up as Captain America and then he can then go after these threads. Mm. You know, he can then go after what's left of Flag Smashers and stuff like that. You know, that's why I still think, 
And I, I, you know, to bring it back, I think this episode is kind of telling us that, you know, the real sort of antagonist we're going to finish the show with is John Walker. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the reason I kind of noticed that is because they almost started trying to redeem. Jesus, I hate myself for saying this every mm-hmm. time. Battlestar. Battlestar, yeah, yeah. To start trying to redeem Battlestar, you know, him questioning his actions, like, oh, do you really think they'll let him, they'll release Zemo? Do you really think we should be doing this and that? You know, showing us even little things like, oh, he's a good translator and stuff like that. Maybe it's just the charm with which um, Clay Bennett plays the character, but um, I think they're really trying to redeem him. And I think the point would be that, okay, we just get to the point where it's like, okay, um, Sam understands the value of that symbol and, you know, the fact that I think also the key sort of theme here is that, you know, Captain America shouldn't, that symbol and icon shouldn't be something fixed. It should be, you know, moving with the times. And Sam would be the one to realize that and say, right, okay, I can move it with the times, even though he has problems with, like he says in this episode, I believe, you know, a lot of people have died for that, you know, that icon um, image. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have suffered for it, but you can always make it represent something new. And I think once, I think the main thing in these next three episodes is to get him to that. And then, you know, we can... Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm afraid of, because it's, it's not only, like, story real estate. Like, it's not like things that physically have to move. It's like, mentally, we need to get Sam into a place where... Because mm-hmm. he hasn't even addressed why he gave up his shield. He's just said he had his reasons, right? We obviously have ideas of his reasons, but considering where he was when he gave up the shield at the beginning of episode one, and the things that he's seen now, it's even more reason for him not to want to be Captain America. Like, Isaiah uh-huh. Bradley the new um, serum and all the experiments that had to happen for that. So you now have to, how we now have to show him get, go through that mental metamorphosis of like, I can be Captain America or I should be Captain America. And I think, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they can do all that in three episodes. Yeah. I, th- it, I think, I think it's going to mean, I think it's going to take like a big moment, right? Like, you know, it, sometimes it might be cheap writing, right? But like a death or a big sort of mm. uh, fight or something, you know. I wonder if it's going to have something to do with Agent 13, given her return here. Yeah, um, looking back, we should have actually, we should have done this um, previous episodes, but MVP of this episode, man, Sharon Carter. First of all, she came in with the normal, okay, she's shooting guns, fair enough. We find out she has this whole underground art empire. She's making her money in Madripoor. And then, like, while these guys are talking to the scientists in the trailer, she's handling these bounty hunters, babs. I'm like, fair enough, Sharon. Like, okay. Uh-huh. You're not the Sharon Carter that we saw in, in Civil War. Like, okay. Fair enough. Okay. You, you. So I definitely think, the streets. I, yeah, I think we give her the MPP of the episode. Like, uh, yeah, she's, I mean, she's it's obviously between her and Zemo, but, like, I think she, she did that job this episode. I did roll my eyes a little bit because I was like, ah, oh, we're going to do the uneasy tension thing of, like, you know, you guys forgot about me. Da, 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 da. Okay, I was just like, oh, can we move this along? You know, to the point where it's like, okay, you help have, us, you help you. Doesn't she have enough reason to be angry? Like these guys, everybody got pardons and just left her alone in Asia. She, she like, has, she, she has the right, right? But it's like, uh, I guess it's like a writing thing for me. It's just like, ah, we're doing this, you know. And I know where it's going, and I know mm. this is just for like five minutes or whatever. But I know it's going to get to a point, right? You're going to help us, blah blah blah. There might be some shady secret or whatever, but. You're going to help us. We'll move on. And that's it. And then, obviously, we get that, which I enjoyed. But then, um, there's that little hint at the end, you know, where she gets into the car and everything. And I was like, mm-hmm. 
Is there more we don't sort of know? She, yeah, no, there's definitely there's definitely more. Yeah, you know, because I was like, obviously my 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 first thing my brain goes, our power broker. You know, we've been talking about him being on top and this and that. It don't make sense if she has. It won't be her, but like if she has a line to that person, because you know, um, I, it might it might be her. But I feel like that would no, be I don't a think bit yeah, too, I, that's too that much of a heel turn. Yeah, yeah, that that would be a bit too yeah, be a bit too abrupt. But you know, I feel like she'll have a line to that person, and it makes yeah. But then it might sort of undercut and be like, okay, that's why you know she could take all those bounty hunters or stuff like that, maybe. But um, yeah, I feel like there's something more there. I feel like there's at yeah, least one more reveal there. Definitely, I think because because when she was leaving, I was like, oh wait, are we only getting? her for one episode and then when she spoke to her I guess her driver I was like okay she's obviously going to come back and there is more to that um speaking about Madripoor what do you know about Madripoor because my knowledge of Madripoor is nothing I uh, yeah I'm, you've asked the wrong person <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's not just me I, um, I am horrible geographically and I don't know again yeah, but I, it's would, not, I can't, it's not I can't tell you Exactly. I can't tell you if it's real. Or it's no, it's okay. It's not real. <laughs> okay. So, so sometimes I know more. I don't know more about it than you. Then, um, yeah. So it's not a real place. It's um, it's an I think an Asian country created for Marvel, or, okay. well, created by Marvel rather in the Marvel comics. Um, so obviously, like Sokovia or Wakanda or um, where's Doctor Doom from again? Oh, Latveria. Latveria. Yeah. So, um, and I think it's kind of like it, it's. It's their haven for all shady stuff. And apparently it's really connected to the X-Men. So it's like yeah. where whenever X-Men just want to get off the grid, whenever Wolverine just wants to go on a bender, he just he goes to Magic Pool. So like it's kind of mm. like the place in like Marvel Comics and it's really connected to the X-Men and stuff like that. So okay, well, I guess you guys have to Google then, because neither neither me nor yeah. our correspondent know <laughs> no, have the answer. We've talked, we've talked about Zemo a bit so far. And obviously, I think we're all praised for Zemo, the fact that he's rich, the fact that he likes Marvin Gaye, and he's he might be a hashtag ally, although he did kill an African king. So, I don't know. But but I do think he has, or he's involved in the weakest part of this episode. And I think the prison escape is, is pretty underwhelming. Ah, I was I was so disappointed. I was like, I was very so. I was like, please let this because obviously the way it was happening was like, um, Bucky, Bucky was saying it and it was happening. So I was like, please let it not be what actually happened. Let it just be like showing yeah, projection like, or something. Exactly, yeah. And then I was just like, this is quite. I was very underwhelmed. Very. Yeah. Underwhelmed. Yeah, I felt like, you know, it was one of those things of like, oh, we have to move the plot along, but I just feel like it just underserved everything so much because mm-hmm. I'm like, everything we went through in Civil War to put him into that jail, and this is how easy it is to get out. Like, like he could have done that by himself. He didn't need Bucky to do that. I was like, this is, all he's literally done is, yeah, like, like, fight. like, he does, yeah, and I was very disappointed in, in the prison escape. Yeah, honestly, it felt quite lazy. It was just like, uh, I didn't, I didn't speaking of it. the escape, that was pretty shitty from Bucky, wasn't it? To do that without telling telling Sam. You know. Yeah, I guess it's the classic line of ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Yeah, but like you Sam know, is cause... an Avenger. Sam is not... We have to remember that Sam is not just like a random guy that has wings. Sam is an Avenger. I understand why Bucky did yeah. it because he's like fully focused on getting rid of these super soldiers and everything. But yeah, he's, he's kind of... But again, Bucky and Sam's dynamic of the charts, man. Those guys are... They're, they're, yeah. they're good together. Marvel never separate them. Um... 
I should have mentioned this earlier, but this episode is written by Derek Kolstad, who I didn't even know he was involved in the show. I just saw his name and I was like, oh, wow, that's surprising. So, oh, well. yeah, so Derek Kolstad is the writer and the co-creator of the John Wick universe. So he's wrote all the John Wick films and everything. I'm like, I did not, I did not know Marvel had the John Wick writer involved in this show. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's just, that was just surprising to me. It, may, um, it makes sense. Like, you know, one thing I always picked up from John Wick was that, you know, the, the, the cities did have a lot of life, you know. Whenever you went into a new city in John Wick, there's just a lot of life about it. The That's lighting, true, stuff yeah. Like that. it, it has so this when like, it, lived-in world, yeah. When, when it went into Madripoor, I did get that feel. And it was like, okay, I was like, this reminds me of something. I couldn't put a finger on it just now. But yeah, now that you mentioned it, it really reminds me of John Wick 2 and 3. Um, it also makes sense that this is like the most gun-heavy episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like, mm. I don't think they've used guns up to this point. It's like that. Like that. As is appropriate, I guess, let's just end with how the episode ended. Flores, yeah. consumers. Return. It's just so good to see her again. And the fact that she's the one returning, because mm. she's the one who was there in Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, who was the first member of Dora Milaje we saw. You know, I was like, you know, I just really appreciated that being the callback and everything. I really even like Bucky that whole being, sequence. But yeah. yeah, even Bucky being the one to pick up that, you know, something is wrong and, you know, picking up the little tech beats and there's a little sort of music, like what kind of music starting to bubble underneath when he's doing it. And it's like, okay, cool. I think maybe Bucky will probably just make a deal with him, something like, oh, let's get this done and you can have Zemo or something. We know Zemo is going to betray them eventually, like, mm-hmm. and probably and get away and... Whether that would get into a position where, because Bucky had to know this was going to happen, like he had to know this was going to like so, which is again, which is another part of why him releasing um, Zemo was kind of shitty, because like these guys fixed you and you're going to just free the guy that killed their king. So it's kind of like, what are you doing, bro? Yeah. Um, so shout out Sam actually called that out. You know, mm-hmm. like he killed, he blew up the UN, killed King T'Chaka. I blamed you for it. And here you are doing this. But yeah, I think Bucky is just all about, again, it's it comes back to what we talked about episode one with PTSD. So one of the things that I know is that sometimes you get fixated on a goal and it's like, you know, when you solve this thing, it's going to fix you. I mm. think that's what we're seeing with Bucky. And he feels like, you know, he solves this whole mystery of super soldiers and what have you. And, uh, you know, bootleg Captain America running around and everything. It just feels like it will fix his problems and he'll mm-hmm. be fine. So I think that's what we're having here, where he's just going to almost any lengths. Just overall, I just I, I just really like that, you know, they did that callback to Wakanda and everything. And then also, you know, they're putting it into the sort of character journey that I think Bucky is on. Even stuff like Zemo picking up his little book and everything, uh, which brought us our Trouble Man joke. But... Uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm really interested in what they're doing with Bucky psychologically. Yeah, I'm excited for the last three the episodes of the show. Um, I just feel like you feel like there's something, there's something coming, like there's something big coming. Um, I think we'll talk more about the flag smashers in coming episodes. I don't, I don't really think there's more to talk about right now in terms of those yeah. guys. Those guys. I, I think I can just quickly say just on them. Um, it's interesting. They try and tell, you know, here they did try and drop a bit more of like motivation and backstory for Carly. You know, I think she lost someone who's like, I guess, a mother figure or something, mm-hmm. and then she was trying to reach out for, um, trying to reach out for, uh, you know, treatment and stuff. I think she had tuberculosis or something. Um, 
uh, Juno and the fact they're going up against the GRC. This episode actually opened with a commercial for the GRC. And, you know, we did see that the GRC isn't as good as they should be. You know, they had supplies they were sitting on and then people were still dying in, you know, these little refugee camps and stuff like that. So they, they really went into it with, you know, seeding yeah. her sort of motivation and stuff. But then also showed you that she is sort of going off the deep end a little with just, um, you know, killing those people in the building when leaving. That even her, I forget, I don't know if they gave the guy a name, but the guy she always talking to anyway. The no, that's really good, no. Yeah, the other flag smasher was going, you know, he, he had that look of, you know, you're going a bit too far with yeah. this now kind of thing. Which is why I said, but, I think we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about them in the future because I think this is yeah. the, this is like, this is them going from a sympathetic quote unquote villain to actually being, because now she has, she has committed a terrorist act. So now they are actually like bad people and villains and stuff like that. So it's really hard to refer them. Thank you to Brother George. It's Brother Obi, right? You can't use Brother George. Come on, man. <laughs> I actually, yeah, I, had a I didn't know what. I don't say Brother, brother George. Right? Wait, just, it yeah, it well, maybe, maybe George is more like an, like an American name, but we're going for. Oh, oh, my oh, I should have all my dish. I wanted to do Brother Obi, right? But it just. It didn't flow. Was it like Brother Ashton? Fred, one syllable. No, just one syllable. Like Brother Obi, was, was too. Yes, 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 yes. But. But I did brother George Beard, bro. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, brother Obiora. Thank you to our producers, Comrade Ibuka and Comrade Chinedis. But yeah, Obiora, let's get out of here. We spent a while on this. Um, take care of everybody, please. Take care of yourselves. Just let's get out of this. Um, rest in peace to Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton. Rest in peace to all the people that died um, during the FBI raid on that day, including Mark Clark. Um, shout out to Akua Nigeri, Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. And just the guys that continue to do good work in societies in memory of people like Fred Hampton Sr. Unfortunately, due to scheduling conflict with his SNL appearance, he couldn't make it this episode. But please come back next episode as we'll be joined by the great, the incomparable Daniel Kalia. Bye, guys. I'm free, y'all. I need everybody to be there to me. I am, I am a revolutionary. revolutionary. I am, I am a, revolutionary. a revolutionary. I am a revolutionary. Comrade Jimmy Palmer. Jimmy Palmer, that a revolutionary did. He stood face to face and toe to toe with Pierre Daly's henchmen and made the greatest sacrifice one could ever make. I'm gonna die in no car, eh? No. I don't believe I'm gonna die slipping on no ice. No. I don't believe I'm gonna die because I got a bad heart. No. I believe I'm gonna die doing what I was born for. Yeah. I believe I'm gonna die half the people. Yeah. I'm gonna die for the people because I live for the people. Yeah. I live for the people because I love the people.
for them bloodthirsty murderous pigs. Well, some of you might be in the audience right now, huh? Sitting on a tape recorder, burning your head. Well, let me make it plain. Kill a few pigs, get a little satisfaction. Wait on, wait on. Kill some more pigs, get some more satisfaction. Kill them all, get complete satisfaction. A question of violence or non-violence is a question of resistance to fascism or non-existence within fascism. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. That's not how I 